Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the best podcast in the world, brought to you today by the overshadowed, the overlooked, Bogan War and Peace. My uh, my latest novel, Personal Fable, came out in March, which has been the main focus of my, I guess, my writing career. That's the big one, you know, five years' work. But um, with all the attention going on that, the spotlight has very much been taken off the War and Peace Bogan project, which I still very much intend to complete. Book one of 16 is available, has been available since um, late last year, I think. And I was just thinking about it yesterday and I picked up a copy off my shelf, had a little flick through and just made myself laugh several times just on the one page that I skim read. I stand by that book. It is, you know, it is war and peace. It's the whole story, but it also has humor. Uh, It's the perfect project for me. It's goofy yet also serious. (laughs) <laughs> like it's serious literature anyway enough about that if you want to grab a copy of bogan war and peace help support one starving author locked down on the other side of the world andalewis.com or uh, look it up on your amazon um, you can get it via amazon a paperback or you can also get it on the kindle store um, have a look have a laugh thanks for hearing this advertisement now let's talk about book two Chapter 34. Dad is playing hardball. Really, excuse me, it's really quite strange the way that Matilda and her father are talking to each other. Um, Like the language that they're using in these letters, it's very confronting and I suppose like a bit formal and I don't know, it's... It just doesn't seem like a conversation between a father and a daughter, you know, confessing that she's pregnant and getting married and him putting the terms of how he'll support her or not, um, done via these kind of like negotiation letters. Um, Jan Brunt said, so Julian is going to be an army lieutenant. I guess all his target practice and horsey lessons will finally come in handy. Still, I'd rather not have him as my commander in battle. Yikes. Julian's new commission brought... Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I wouldn't want to uh, fight under his command. Excuse me. Julian's new commission brought to mind the life of Joachim Murat, one of Napoleon's favourite generals, later granted the title of King of Naples. Um... Yes, very familiar with Murat. Um, learned about him first reading War and Peace. He's a pretty prominent character in that. Prominent side character, I'd say. Um, and yeah, I keep hearing about him since, you know, just on like other videos about Napoleon and that kind of stuff. Uh, Hemingway list readers might remember him from the Battle of Borodino. Yes, indeed, I do. Anyway, born the son of a minor merchant in the provinces designed for a life in the clergy, ran away to join the army, got kicked out for a scandalous love affair and was known to be a great dandy who rode into battle wearing a leopard skin draped over his shoulders and ribbons in his hair. This is how I imagined St. Lieutenant Sorrel of the Mounted Hussars. I believe I'm about to look at a painting of Murat. Oh yeah, he's a pretty boy. (laughs) I mean, by 1800 standards, he looks ridiculous by today's standards, but he's got a massive feather in his hat. 
and just the most French outfit you've ever seen. Like those big shoulder things going on, a sash over his shoulder, that kind of vest jacket that buttons right down the middle with like the symmetrical lines coming out from there and um, massive collar that goes up to his ears. The most decorated jacket you've ever seen and he's riding a horse and the horse is decorated with a leopard or a tiger skin. He's sitting on like a dead tiger rug, which is draped over the horse. Um, <laughs> imagine riding into a battlefield like that. I feel like you'd mostly just be confusing your enemies into, into defeat. Like they'd be about to fire their guns and they'd just stop and go, what the hell? And then too late, you're dead. <laughs> that was his main weapon. Confusion and glamour. Uh, anyway, okay, let's continue. Yeah, I can see Sorrel being a bit like that. Although it was said that although he was fashionable, he didn't think about his fashion once he put it on. He just wore it and went, yep, this is what's cool apparently, and got on with it. He wasn't sort of like obsessed with how he looked. That was described in a, a couple of chapters ago, I think. Swim said the mum of fishy said, Matilda and the Marquis are waging war campaigns, which is ironic since Julian is now the Napoleon wannabe. Starfall 15 says, this is my second read of this book. Had to read it in high school, although I didn't remember much. Looking forward to your comments on tomorrow's chapter, Smiley Face. Tomorrow's chapter being today's chapter. And is that hinting that today's chapter is one that's going to have, that we're going to want to comment on? I suppose it is. All right, now I'm looking forward to today's chapter. Laura Y-Stitch said, I wonder if Matilda is going to regret her decision. Sorry, something popped up on my screen and covered what I was trying to read. Um, their relationship... Oh, is she going to regret the decision? Yeah, almost definitely, right? Uh, their relationship is built on such crazy dynamics that... Uh, and there was a trace of doubt already in this chapter. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the foundation of their relationship is just... a. It's like if you built a foundation and rather than using stone and bricks, you just used madness and, and jealousy. <laughs> and then you just put a house on top of that. And then when you fall into the world's biggest sinkhole, you're like, what? But we use so much madness and jealousy in the foundation. How could that? What? Um, <laughs> weird metaphor, but okay, let's move forward. Um, we're reading. What are we reading here? Uh, chapter 35 which is entitled A Storm which is ominous and promising Oh God, give me mediocrity Mirabeau His soul was wrapped he, on he only half responded to Matilda's eager displays of tenderness He remained silent and grave Never had he seemed so great in her eyes so adorable she feared lest. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Got a frog in my brain. She feared lest some subtle trick of his pride might intervene and upset the whole situation. She observed that the Abe Parade visited the hotel almost every morning. Had not Julian been able to gather something of her father's intentions from him? Had the Marquise not himself? Sorry, had, the, had not the Marquis himself, in a moment of caprice, perhaps written, 
How could she explain Julian's severe air after a stroke of such great good fortune? She did not dare question him. She did not dare. She, Matilda, from that time on, there was in her feeling for Julian something vague, unpredictable, almost terror-like. This dry soul left... Sorry, this dry soul felt all the passion possible to a creature brought up in the excessively civilised atmosphere that prevails in Paris. The following day, early in the morning, Julian was at the Abe Pirard's presbytery. Post-horses hired from the neighbouring depot arrived in the courtyard drawing a dilapidated carriage. "'An outfit like that isn't quite the thing for you nowadays,' said the severe Abe, with a grudging look. "'Here's twenty thousand francs, a present from the Marquise.' He invites you to spend them in a year, though trying, please, to make yourself a little ridiculous, as little ridiculous as possible. In so considerable a sum, thrown to a young man, the priest saw only an occasion of sin. The Marquise also says Monsieur Julien de la Veronay will have received this sum from his father, to whom it is otherwise needless to refer. Monsieur de la Veronay will perhaps deem it appropriate to make a gift to Monsieur Sorel, a carpenter at Verriers, who cared for him in his childhood. I will take that part of the commission on myself, added the abe. I have at last persuaded Monsieur de la Mole to settle with that perfect Jesuit, the abe de Frilliere. His influence is decidedly too much for us. An implicit condition of the agreement will be the tacit recognition of your high birth from the man who rules Bezacon. Julian could no longer repress a surge of joy. He embraced the Abe. He saw himself as having been acknowledged. Come now, said Monsieur Parade, pushing him away. What is the meaning of this worldly display? As for Sorel and his sons, I shall offer them a pension of five hundred francs a year in my own name payable to each of them for so long as I am satisfied with them. Julian had already become cool and distant. He thanked the Abe, but in extremely vague terms, and committing himself to nothing. Can it really be possible, he said to himself, that I am the natural son of some grand seigneur, exiled to our mountainous mountains by the terrible Napoleon? Every moment the idea seemed to him less preposterous. My hatred of my father would be a proof. I would no longer be a monster." A few days after this self-communion, the 15th Regiment of Hussars, one of the most brilliant in the army, was drawn up in battle order on the parade ground in Strasbourg. Monsieur le Chevalier de la Vernay was mounted on the most beautiful horse in Alsace, which had cost him 6,000 francs. He was enlisted as a lieutenant, without having been a second lieutenant other than on the rosters of a regiment he had never heard of. From the first day, his impassive air... His severe and almost cruel look, his pallor, his imperturbable self-control gave him the makings of a rep reputation. A little later on, his perfect and reserved courtesy, his skill with pistols and with other weaponry, displayed without too much affectation, banished any notion of overt mockery at his expense. After wavering for five or six days, the general opinion in the regiment declared in his favour. This young man has everything, said the bantering older officers, but youth. From Strasbourg, Julian wrote to Monsieur Chalan, the former curé of Verriers, who was now approaching the extreme limit of old age. You will have learned, with a joy I cannot doubt, of the events that have led my family to make me rich. Here are five hundred francs which I beg you to distribute without fuss, and without any mention of my name. 
Among the unhappy people who are as poor now as I once was, and who, without doubt, you now aid as once you aided me. It was ambition, not vanity, that intoxicated Julian. Even so, he gave a great deal of his attention to his external appearance. His horses, his uniforms, his servants' liveries were maintained with a correctness that would have done honour to the punctiliousness of a great English lord. Only just made lieutenant, promoted by patronage a mere two days ago, he was already calculating that in order to be like all the great generals, commander-in-chief by the age of thirty at latest, he should be better than a lieutenant at twenty-three. His thoughts were solely of glory and of his son. It was in the midst of such unbridled dreams of ambition that he was surprised by a young footman from the Hotel de la Mole who presented himself as a courier. All is lost, wrote Matilda. Hurry here as fast as you can. Sacrifice everything. Desert if you have to. As soon as you arrive, wait for me in the cab next to the little garden gate at number dash in dash street. I will manage to get there to speak to you. Perhaps I will be able to smuggle you into the garden. All is lost. Without remedy, I fear. Count on me. You will find me devoted and firm in adversity. I love you. Within a few minutes, Julian had obtained leave from his colonel and left Strasbourg at a gallop, but the frightful anxiety that consumed him did not permit him to continue this form of transport any further than Metz. There, he threw himself into a post-chase, and it was with almost incredible rapidity that he arrived at the place arranged, close to the little door of the Hotel de la Mole Gardens. This door was opened, and immediately Matilda, oblivious to all appearances, threw herself into his arms. Fortunately, it was no later than five in the morning, and the street was still empty. All is lost, my father, frightened of my tears, left on Thursday night. For where, no one knows. Here is his letter. Read it. And she climbed into the cab with Julian. I could forgive everything except the scheme to seduce you because you are rich. That, unhappy girl, is the frightful reality. I swear to you, on my honour, that I will never consent to a marriage with this man. I will guarantee him an income of 10,000 livres if he is prepared to live far away, beyond the frontiers of France, or better still, in America. Look at the letter I received in answer to some information I asked for. The impudent malo fellow himself had advised me to write to Madame de Renal. Never will I read a single line from you about him. I have conceived a horror of Paris and of you. I advise you to shroud what is about to come to pass in the greatest secrecy. Sincerely, renounce this vile man and you will have found a father again. Um, what? <clears throat> Where is Madame de Renal's letter? asked Julian coldly. Here it is, my dear. I didn't want to show it to you without your being prepared. Letter. That which I owe to the sacred cause of religion and of morality forces me, Monsieur, to the painful step I am about to take in regard to you. An infallible precept ordains that I harm my neighbour at this moment, but so that an even greater scandal may be averted. The woes that I feel must be surmounted by the sentiment of duty. It is only too true, Monsieur, that the conduct of this person, about whom you demand the entire truth from me, could have seemed inexplicable, or even respectable, Someone might have thought it acceptable to hide or misrepresent a part of the reality. Prudence might have demanded it, as well as religion. But this conduct of which you desire to know 
has in fact been extremely reprehensible, more so than I can tell you. Penurious and rapacious, this man has sought to achieve a position for himself and become something in life by means of the most consummate hypocrisy and by the seduction of a weak and unhappy female. It is a part of my painful duty to add that I am obliged to believe that Monsieur J lacks all religious principle. In all conscience, I am forced to think that one of his ways of achieving success in a household is to seek out and then seduce the most influential women there. Cloaked by a pretense of disinterestedness and by phrases taken from novels, his great and only aim is to gain control of the master of the house and his fortune. In his wake, he leaves misery and eternal regret, etc., etc., This letter, extremely long and half-effaced with tears, was certainly in Madame de Renal's hand. She had even penned it more carefully than usual. I cannot blame Monsieur de la Mole, said Julian, when he had finished it. He is just and wise. What father would be willing to give his precious daughter to such a man? Adieu. Julian leapt from the cab and ran to his post-chase, which was drawn up at the end of the street. Matilda, who seemed to have forgotten, went a few steps in pursuit, but the stairs of the tradesmen going up to the doors of their shops and to whom she was known forced her to retreat precipitately into the garden. Julian had left for Verriers. During his rapid journey, he was unable to write to Matilda, as he had planned to do, for his hand made only illegible marks on the paper. He arrived in Verrieres on a Sunday morning. He went to the local gunsmith, who heaped him with compliments on his recent good fortune. It was the talk of the district. Julian had made mu- had much trouble in making him understand that he required a pair of pocket pistols. At his request, the gunsmith loaded them. The three chimes were just sounding, a signal well known in French villages, which after the various bells ringing of the morning announces the imminent start of mass. Julian went into the new church at Verriers. All the high windows of the building were veiled with crimson blinds. Julian found himself a few paces behind Madame de Renal's pew. It seemed to him that she was praying with fervor. The sight of this woman, who who had loved him so well, made his arm tremble to such an extent that at first he could not carry out his plan. I cannot, he said to himself. Physically, I cannot do it. At that moment, the young cleric serving the mass rang for the elevation. Madame de Renal bowed her head, and for an instant it was entirely covered by the folds of her shawl. Julian no longer saw her so clearly. He fired one pistol at her and missed. He fired a second shot. She fell. <laughs> Freaking hell. <laughs> what? Uh, all right, there's another chapter down. Um, what the? F- I'm gonna st- I'm gonna go out and say this. I've done nine hundred and something podcasts now without a single f bomb. But what the fuck? Julian's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Uh okay. Have your say about that over at the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening, and I uh, will see you tomorrow.